0: Welcome to You're Not That Special. My name is Emily, and I'm Sarah. We're two Enneagram Four INFJs here to talk with you about mental health, eating disorder recovery, and the challenges that we all face. Welcome back. Yeah,
1: here we are. Yes. Um, what a privilege to like do this.
0: I know the amount of people that we've gotten to connect with in the last however long since we've been starting the interviews I'm like so I was like Like, when I was writing yeah
1: I was writing out that list I'm like oh yeah it's amazing yeah it's just like and we talk a lot about connection and community and um relationship and now I'm just like this is just coming to life yeah so this week we've got Travis Stewart um dear friend of mine, and he has been mentoring many people since 1992. I won't, I didn't mention to him (laughs) the the closeness of that to, um, me being born, but anyways, uh, we don't have to, um, age him or anything. Okay. Um, And he became a licensed professional counselor in 2005. He's got an amazing story with a lot of different avenues within his career. Um, But his approach um, being relational and creative, he really helps people understand their story and is all about building hope for the future, which I really appreciate about him. Mm -hmm. He is an excellent communicator and teacher he has spoken at schools like Pepperdine University, Baylor, Washington University, and graduate school seminaries across the country on eating disorders and body image. He's going to talk a little bit more about the resources that he has um, created, which reflective which is designed of helping people deepen their faith um, and they can also apply it to issues like eating, anxiety, and addiction. He also has urge911.com. And so um, definitely can't wait for you guys to hear more about those resources and how his entire life experience and career has come together to influence the lives of a lot of people, including myself, which I count myself uh, privileged that he is a part of my life. So Without further ado, here we go. Welcome, Travis. Thank you so much for joining us for a recording of You're Not That Special.
2: Yeah, great to be with you guys. I'm grateful for the technology that allows us <laughs> yes. to do I'm, I'm in St. Louis. I'm, I'm where I, I, I work full-time at Covenant Theological Seminary. I got my, my logo on and in my office here. So um, it's cool that we can do this, uh, over the, over the internet.
0: I agree. Kind of one of the nice developments that's come over the last couple of years is everyone can just hop on zoom for, (laughs) for any kind of meeting. Right. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, Travis, how we always like to start with the question of who you are. So, I know that you have a lot of roles in your life and with your occupation and all of that, but who's Travis at the core that allows you to fill all of those roles?
2: That's yeah, that's a good question. And it's such a challenging question because we so normally answer that with like roles. Like I'm a dad, I'm a husband. I, you know, I, I work at such and such a place. And um, so I was thinking about that a little bit, I think Um, One of the words that comes to mind for me is communicator. Mm -hmm. So I've done a lot of different things in my career. Um, My undergraduate degree was advertising. Uh, Then I worked in a campus ministry for a while. And then I came here to Covenant to get the counseling degree and a theology degree. Um, And then I became a counselor. I worked in the eating disorder field full time for 17 years. I still do some work in that field, but it's kind of on the side and now i help raise money for the seminary so there's yeah. like all these different things but the common thread through all of those is communication mm-hmm. um communicating in a way that's transformative uh, hopefully that impacts people's lives and yeah. makes a difference you know um i also design websites i mean i do all these <laughs> things. but the theme is that the theme and the common thread is communication um yeah. so i think that's It's one part of who I am, Um, you know, and then I think friendships are very important to me. Friendships, relationships, Uh um, family, um, those. I just love spending time with people who are important to me. And and so those those are probably two good words for describing who I am. Creative would be in there, too. That goes along with communicator. I'm very creative. I create things. Um, We'll talk about some of those today, some of the things I've created. So absolutely, another word.
1: Well, and I would say in my time of knowing you, I would also use those words to describe you and helping people. I mean, you've done work in marketing and I would say, though, instead of feeling like you are selling something, like uh, something that I've observed about you is helping people to understand what is being offered and you know the benefits that could exist there and I feel like what you've done um, what I've observed is that question of who are you is something that you help people express throughout mm-hmm. some of your creative work
2: yeah I love to see people succeed I love to help like I think you and I have talked about like marketing mm-hmm. and we talked about communication and teaching and um, I love to take what I've learned and share it with people. Um, yeah. so I'm always telling people about books or all kinds of things like that. Like, Oh, have you yeah. read this? Or, you know, I'm a kind of a resource person. So uh, I love to give resources to people to help them succeed.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Well, the title of the podcast, as you know, is you're not that special. So are there any moments in your life and your just personal journey or career journey that stand out to you as some of those, you're not that special moments.
2: Yeah. It's such a provocative title. (laughs) Um, It is.
0: That's a
1: good word for it. (laughs) uh,
2: And it's like, um, it's interesting because like we feel this dynamic of I think there's a lot of pressure that comes from telling kids all the time, you're special, you're special. Like it's well-intended and all that, but I think it creates pressure in some ways. Um, and it's also confusing. And at the same time, like we are all special and unique and, right. mm-hmm. and, and all that. And like, we're all human and we all share a lot of things in common and, and, and there's many ways in which I'm not unique, you know, and I'm, and so I I love, I love that you guys have been thoughtful about your title and things like that. So um, any special moments I think um, they all have to do with relationships you know um, yeah. I think key moments in my life have been when I have felt seen by somebody mm-hmm. um, seen and known you know and cared for I'm um, seen at my worst um, you know and still cared for and pursued and and loved and related to and people who don't give up on me or help me see through like, cause the opposite of you're not special or a negative way to say that is like, I'm a loser. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and sometimes I think we all feel like that. We feel like a loser. So I think um, there are, there's a mentor I have in Dallas um, who lives in Dallas, who I think was one of the first people who I really felt like knew me fully. Um, and then and loved me and invested in me and we continue, I t- continue to feel supported by him to this day. I can think of moments in my relationship with my wife um, where I felt seen. I'll t- I got, here's a story, <laughs> this, is, <Okay. laughs> um, this is, I don't know if you know this part of my story, Emily. Okay, um, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, in 1996, my wife and I, we lost a child um, at birth. So he was almost full term. And um, due to complications, um, long story short, we had an emergency C-section and he didn't live. And so that was disruptive, traumatic, um, all kinds of, you know, chaos, obviously. Mm -hmm. It actually led to me meeting my mentor that I just talked about, and then me pursuing a counseling degree years later. Okay the counseling we received was so impactful. Um, so, but not long after we started counseling, it was February, living in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd had a big snow. I, I know you guys know what that's like. Yep. Yes. <laughs> we were living in a house that had been built in the fifties. The basement was like, you know, built in the fifties. Um, and then there was this big melt. So it was our first winter in this house all this snow. And then it all melts. Cause we had some warm days yeah. and I come home and the basement is like got an inch of water. Uh. We didn't know that because of the first winter in the house
0: mm-hmm. and
2: I had all these papers on the floor. It was a mess. You know, it was just, it was a mess. So I'm down there trying to clean it up. And, um, I'm angry. It had that old wood paneling. And at some point I just, uh. I was so mad, all the grief from losing our son, all of the, all of the stuff. And I just started like hitting the wall with the mop, that old wood paneling and, yeah. and beating it. Like I was angry. My wife came down and um, she, saw, she saw me losing my mind and, you know, kind of left the room. Um, and then she came back after I calmed down and I'll never forget what she said. She said, it's good to see you. Uh, I had been holding it all in you know I'd been like and so like for her to see me like just be honest and raw like it was it was for her it was like finally like he's he's feeling
1: yeah
2: and for me it was like it's safe for me to feel like she said Uh, like it's good to see. so that's that's a key moment for me that just like you know is healing it's still healing as I tell the story so
1: absolutely Thank you for telling that story. I think to be seen and to be known and, you know, at our highs and lows, um,
0: it's one of the most powerful things that can happen for us to know that we're safe. Yeah. To feel that acceptance when we're like experiencing and acting on such like strong, raw emotion has such an impact to know, yeah, that I am loved and accepted throughout all of it
2: because she could have said like calm down or what's the deal or I mean there's right. a hundred things she could have said For you sure. know, and it was like just the right thing so it reminds me of one of my favorite books there's a pastor in Phoenix named John Lynch um and he has a his memoir is called on my worst day mm,
0: um awesome. and
2: he just talks about how God loves us on our worst day not, yeah. not, not just on our best days um yes so I love that idea
1: yeah I'm going to have to, I'm writing that. I know yeah. I
2: am too.
1: I guess we could go back and listen to this. Right. <laughs> <but> <laughs> I it should probably take notes too. Um, yeah. Did I'm just curious and I don't know, maybe this opening can of worms, but like prior to that, did you not feel safe expressing those emotions? Like, was that a process of learning that you were safe to, feel
2: and express? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know that I would have said, I don't feel safe with my wife. I just didn't, I didn't know how to do it. Like I just, I grew up in a home where both parents were the oldest children of alcoholics. And so, Mm. I mean, stable home in many ways, a loving home, grateful for my parents. Um, It was not dramatic. And I think they were trying to figure out how to express emotion because of their own family history and so we're still trying to learn how to express emotion so i just i just didn't do it well yeah um so to be that expressive was new
1: yeah okay yeah i totally get that the generational aspect i think and that's a great example of how it does impact us and we kind of have to peel back the layers of you know what we were conditioned to in the environments that we grew up in, and that was influenced by a previous generation. Um, so being able to come into that and experience it personally is really powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it speaks to too, like the body always wins out in some way.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Um, do you, would you like to speak to like? the work that you do do and i know that you've kind of had you know multiple areas that you've been in but um just how your particular work has been so important in your life journey
2: yeah yeah i mean my career path is is windy and has lots of characters and lots of stories and um it's been challenging at times um and to have so many different interests and skill sets Um, Is a blessing and a curse, (laughs) you know. So, um, so, but how we met, Emily, you and I met, was through my work in the eating disorder field. Um, And so, I started as a clinician, therapist at Ramuda Ranch, which at the time was one of the leading treatment centers in the country. It was well respected, and um, and uh, I worked there as a therapist for a while and. And so I did not expect to work in eating disorders. I didn't, I didn't go looking for that, but uh, <laughs> that's where God took me. Um, and so a lot of my work has continued to be around that. And, and the idea of like, um, how does, how do we change? How do we deal with compulsive behaviors? Uh, mm-hmm. How do we, um, what's the integration of faith into that? What's the integration of neuroscience into that, where does relationships fit, fit in? You know, I, I just continue as I grow older to recognize the complexity yeah. of these things. Right? It's not just family system. It's not just in that we were just talking about family systems. It's not just that. There's also the fa- I was an Air Force kid, so we moved every three years. So that plays a role. Mm-hmm. Um, my temperament, my personality plays a role. Um, the experiences I. had as a kid in my youth um you know that in brain development that plays a role all of those things are together the culture we live in plays a role um and so with eating disorders you see it pretty clearly there's genetic factors there's family factors there's cultural factors there's brain factors there's body factors Uh and so i'm always intrigued by how all those work together yeah Um, and i don't think you can do recovery by just isolating one of those things you've got to come at it in an integrated full sort of way Um, and so that i've had a lot of interest particularly particularly for me i've sort of specialized in kind of the brain side i'm not a neuroscience i just i just like to read (laughs) i like to read complex things and then figure out really practical applications like what do we do with this okay Um, And then the integration of faith, um, for me particularly, I come from a Christian perspective. And so how do we integrate faith? What what does the Christian um, scriptures tell us about change and shame and guilt and um, relationships and the body and all those kinds of things. And so for me, some of the tools that I've created and resources that I've created go along those lines of kind of integrating neuroscience and faith and brain all behaviors and practical skills. So that's sort of a.
1: Yeah. Can uh, you give us? Can you give us some examples of those tools and resources?
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of them was a website called urge 911, and I think you had it first. It was a card. It was just a card. Yeah. Yes. So I had read this great book by um, a UCLA psychiatrist named Jeffrey Schwartz, um, called "You Are Not Your Brain," and he specialized in OCD. Um, and so he was looking at how, how can we treat OCD outside of the exposure and response prevention, um, which is kind of the gold standard for treatment, but he was looking at some other ways. And so he had these four steps of dealing with compulsive thoughts, um, and obsessive and compulsive behaviors. Mm -hmm. And as I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, so much of this relates to eating disorders. Um, and so I began to think, about using those steps with clients helping clients use those steps and then I started going I don't cuz I can never leave things as they are I'm like <laughs> let's tweak this a little bit I don't I don't yeah. like religion, so or I want to add this step Or I had learned something from somewhere else and I want to add yeah. it so I came up with the urge911 steps and you can go to urge911.com it's still on yep. there I haven't done a lot of updating lately but it kind of takes you through some steps of dealing with compulsive behaviors um and then it's designed around helping you rewire the brain with that. Now, what's true is I'm now I'm reading a new book and I'm like, oh, I need to change this or that. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning things. So I consist I constantly learn things. And I'm like, oh, I should do that. So I may update Urge 911 with some new new material. But um, but that's an example. Um, the other one is a website called reflectiveprayer.com. And that comes out of, when I was in college, I had, there was a campus staff minister who helped me and he had this notebook that would have like scripture on one side. And then on the other side, he would have like pictures of like waterfalls or mountains or just kind of something to set the tone. And I always liked that. Um, And for me, like just to sit down and pray, it's like, I just, my brain goes too many different ways. (laughs) I need something to give me some structure.
1: Guidance. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
2: And so that idea that he had, and then things I was learning about the brain and mindfulness and all of these things and anxiety. So I ended up creating this um, eight minute. So if you go to reflectiveprayer.com, there's some free stuff on there, and there's also some like paid content that you can get.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, but basically, um, you click play. You choose a scripture or a it's more like a devotional kind of like a little paragraph. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you click click play, you'll hear you can choose out of rain, a running stream, waves. I feel like there's one more. Um, a quiet lake. Um, and then like so there's nature sounds, there's um a, a narrator. I have a friend who's a professional voice actor, so I had him narrate.
0: Nice. Um, oh, that's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, cause I first tried it with my voice and it's just, there is something. I <laughs> it. Um, and so it takes you through eight minutes and it kind of guides you through and it's intentionally designed to integrate neuroscience and faith. Okay. So the, the way it's designed helps your brain slow down process. And then I, I actually did, this was fun. A friend of mine in town has, A neurofeedback machine where she hooked me up, put a cap on with 19 different things, and I did the prayer while she scanned my brain to watch what was happening. Like, and it does; it shows different parts of the brain getting quiet, different focus. It was really, really, really cool. So,
0: basically, she said,
2: "She said what happens during that prayer is kind of what what we want to happen during therapy. We want people to get from their anxious brain into their prefrontal cortex." Um, and that's what happened during that um, prayer thing. So reflectiveprayer.com is another example of of something. How
1: awesome to like have it! I didn't know that you did that part. Yeah, it was um, fairly recent. Like validated your yeah uh, method. There. Validated <laughs> is,
2: a, is a strong word.
1: Well. <laughs> okay.
2: In an office messing around with a neurofeedback machine probably a more accurate way to say we'll it. We'll do it but, with um, like
1: five more people, 10 more right, people, right. and then it'll be fully validated.
2: <laughs> so, and then recently I l- added a track that has bilateral stimulation. So the left, right ear oh, being yeah. used in EMDR and some other things. Yeah. So there's some tracks now that have bilateral stimulation on them.
1: Wow. Um, I do so, need to check that out. Yeah, that's so cool. Would you speak a little bit to I know that you know faith is a huge part of your journey and um you know something it's part of my journey when I witness it and work with my clients of just recognizing like whatever that is for each individual I feel like the knowing that there's something greater than themselves is really powerful in the recovery process
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: would you speak to that a little bit of your observation or experience
2: with that? Yeah, I'll start with actually telling you a story that this friend who hooked me up to the brain machine told me. Okay. Um, she, does, she does not come, she doesn't share the same faith perspective as me, Okay. Um, uh, but we have a great relationship. We talk about this stuff all the time, um, but she also ends up, she works with a lot of Christian clients, um, and I think there's some challenges that being a Christian brings to the therapy thing. Sometimes we have beliefs or rules that are more cultural than they are biblical. Mm -hmm. Uh, How our Christianity culturally gets expressed than, than actually what the Bible says. So that can complicate things. Um, We tend, American Christians tend to struggle with performance and perfectionism and rigidity and things like that. So there's some challenges, I think in working with Christian clients Um, and it was interesting. She, she told me, she says, at the same time, I feel like my Christian clients have more agency. Mm. She said, a lot of my clients without a faith perspective, I feel like, she said, they are often in the victim role. Oh, th- yeah. this just happened. This just happened to me. I can't help it. It's just my story, et cetera. And there's, tr- obviously, we're victims. We all experience trauma and things like that. So she wasn't saying... You know, she wasn't minimizing that, but what was she right. She was saying? What seemed to be missing that many clients of faith had was a sense of agency. Like this happened to me and I'm responsible.
1: Uh, yeah.
2: Or I can be responsible or I, sh- there's a sense of steps I need to take. I am responsible for my life somehow. I get to
1: respond to this in some way. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so that was one bit of feedback that she, she mentioned someone who's not a, which was fascinating. Um, I think for me, um, I think the ideas, I think for me, one of the biggest things I've wrestled with is kind of going back to what you said about someone bigger than me
1: yeah
2: a lot of secular counseling counseling that doesn't have a faith perspective um, a lot of I learned from a lot of it so I'm not dismissing I learned from a lot of people yeah. who different perspectives mm-hmm. so I don't want to be seen as dismissing anyone else mm-hmm. and one of the things that I wrestle with is that a lot of therapeutic models basically come down to you, you having a sense of self, you being a, having an agency, you, i um, loving yourself, you, and, and I think, gosh, that's just, I'm not enough <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. up to me. Like I'm in deep trouble. Like, yeah. I think, I think to have a sense that there's something larger than me and bigger than me, yeah.
0: um,
2: then helps me understand myself in the right perspective.
0: Yeah. Right?
2: yeah. I, I'm not nothing. But I'm also like, if I'm defining my reality, if I'm the source of my agency, if I'm the source of everything, gosh, that's a pretty small source. Yeah. You know? Um, And so I think you can't, it's hard to live in that. You end up having to go into some sort of faith perspective, even if it's not, even if it's just what we call spirituality and there's a collective consciousness and all of that. Yeah. You just can't it's hard to not go somewhere because if you dig deep enough, you get to existential questions that can't be answered by just looking in the mirror and believing in yourself. Yeah. Right. So I don't mean to dismiss some of the other practices, but um, that's where I kind of bump up against reality um, and spirituality sometimes is like, okay, there's, you need something bigger than you to help move. Mm-hmm. You Maybe a sense of purpose you know, but where does that purpose come from? It, it raises all kinds of theological, existential questions. It does.
0: I think that's a good thing to bring up of just that idea. Like, if I'm solely responsible for my healing and, you know, my moving forward in life, that's like, I don't feel capable of doing that all <laughs> on my own. And I think that a lot of people feel that same way. And so connecting with some kind of thing that is, like you said, just like greater than yourself, whatever that looks like is really important. And I've had, you know, I've heard from a lot of people in the past that that can be a really, for a lot of people that is kind of key to finding healing is having some kind of connection to whether it's just a general sense of spirituality or faith, you know, so I think that that's, it's a really important thing to bring up. Yeah. yeah. I,
2: I mean, AA had, I think they were onto something when they recognized mm-hmm. you need a higher power.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: for me, an example of that is we when, when dealing with shame, we often encourage people um, to love yourself. Like you need to learn to love yourself. Um, and I would agree that we need to learn to not beat ourselves up. We need to learn to treat ourselves with dignity. We need to learn to um, care for ourselves. Um, but for me, a more powerful idea than loving myself is I am loved.
0: Mm, I'm loved
2: by other people. I am loved by God. Like that, that, is way more powerful because I think we're relational beings
1: mm-hmm. well, and it speaks to the word being worthy. I right. feel like that's something that I see consistently again, like I had in my own journey, but I see it with almost every client of like, am I worthy of being cared for of being loved and um, like, do other people have the capacity to sit in all of this with me? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's kind of where that you're not that special comes in of like, yeah, your situation isn't, um, so great that, you know, God wouldn't be willing to step into that with you.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, anyone is capable of coming to that place of loving themselves, but like recognizing that I am lovable is a whole different Mm -hmm. level. Oh
1: yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And I mean, even, um, even s- scientists who come from evolutionary, um, simply evolutionary perspectives, like we, we evolved, they all agree, we evolved in community, like mm-hmm. it's relational. Attachment theory comes from the idea that we need relationship and attachment. So yes. I think that um, without without considering that, the ideas to just yourself being the source fall short. Um,
1: yeah. it's a lot of pressure <laughs> it's yeah. just us like
2: yeah.
1: uh, well I would definitely encourage people to check out those resources that you mentioned I think they're great um, tools to be able to lean on when we're needing whether it's that reflective prayer of being able to kind of ground ourselves um, or utilizing that um, urge 911. I want to I keep wanting to say card, but like on the website.
2: I <laughs> <Not the laughs> just website. pulled a card
1: out. Um right. I I was moving recently and I found some of those actually. <laughs> and now I don't know where they're at right now because I haven't unpacked everything, but yeah. <laughs> Is there any just kind of collective message that you would want people um, in our community of individuals and eating disorder recovery, mental health journeys, like what is maybe a message of hope or encouragement Mm. that you would want to offer them?
2: That's a, that's a great question. And I I had an answer. come. At first I was like panicking, like, I don't know what to say. (laughs) Um, And then I had a great story. So um, in my jo- job here at the seminary, I often travel with the president of the seminary, and I was with him yesterday in Memphis. Um, actually, we were in Tennessee. We were in Mississippi. You may not know this, but the city of Memphis is right on the border of uh, huh, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi. So, like, we drove into one of the suburbs, and we were in. The- I was in three states yesterday. Um, oh, that's like, all right, there. Anyways, that's beside the point. He <laughs> he was um, preaching. And, uh, he told this great story that just was so encouraging to me. So he was telling the story of the Chinese bamboo plant.
0: So okay. the Chinese,
2: Chinese bamboo plant, um, if you plant a seed for the Chinese bamboo plant, um, you t- you put it in the, f- in the soil, you fertilize it, you water it. And after the first year, you will see nothing whole year will go by no growth. No visible growth, right? Second year, fertilizing, watering, sunshine, nothing. Third year, fourth year, not until the fifth year will you see growth above the ground. Wow! Really? For five years, it takes five years, and in that fifth year, it will grow sixty to ninety feet.
0: <laughs> I didn't. So know it's that. just an
2: explosion of growth. Um, and the, the point he was making is that sometimes we just feel buried in the dark. We just yeah. feel underground. We feel hopeless. We feel discouraged. Nothing's changing. Nothing's going to come of all this work I'm doing You know, with recovery or mental health, or I'm trying these things. I'm, I'm going to therapy. Nothing's mm-hmm. happening. I just feel in the dark and alone. Um, but the reality is all the work you're doing is building a root system. That is going down. Yeah. That in the fifth year allows that supernatural explosion of growth, uh, and that was just so encouraging to me because I've been in those dark places. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: I can relate to that. Like, is anything ever going to change? <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: you know? um, yeah. And, and there's just hope. That just gave me hope. You know that
1: absolutely um,
2: redemption and growth and change is possible. Uh, it just takes maybe a long, long time. Sometime.
1: But also in that, um, is like the value of the root system Mm -hmm. and we have to have these foundational, um, systems in place. That's really going to allow that growth to happen. Yeah. So like not to underestimate, like even when we're just doing the day-to-day recovery work or. You know, we're going through our depression journey, whatever that is. Like that day-to-day stuff is so critical to what building that foundation of stability and resiliency and um, vulnerability, all of the things that will allow the growth to happen. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I think the watering and the t- you know the nurturing, all of that still needs to happen. Yes. That yeah. roots it grow
0: it takes a lot of trust to each year continued doing that work, you know, and Mm -hmm. trusting that, okay, at some point I'm going to see like the fruits of my labor and see it in my life. And wow. Yeah. That's, that's a great, I love. I'm going to use that story (laughs) like that.
2: (laughs) You have to look up a Chinese, Chinese bamboo plant. So yeah.
0: Amazing. Well, that's, I'm so glad you shared that. And as we're kind of wrapping up, we have just a couple of like fun questions for you. So I'll start with what is a, like an obscure talent of yours?
2: (laughs) You know, um, I can wiggle my ears is one thing that I can do. (laughs) I can't wiggle it like that, but I can move. I I can, you know, it's funny. um, When I first thought about that, I thought like, like a skill, like I can build a website, which people don't expect a therapist to be able to do. You know, yeah. Like um, but, um, yeah, when I had hair, I could move my hair too. So that was like a,
1: that's
2: know,
0: so could, cool. Yeah,
2: I can still do it with, but it's just, there's no hair to see. Hair, so. We can so, picture it.
1: Yeah,
2: so, um, so there's just some funny things like that, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Those are, that's all I got. That's what I got.
1: (laughs) No, that's, that's not nothing. (laughs) That's awesome. If you could get rid of any month, what would you get rid of?
2: You know, I had a great answer to this question and I, and then I realized I can't say that. So my initial answer was February because I just, like you guys know living in lincoln like right, february yeah. you're like sure. i am just done with <laughs> yep. winter i am so done with winter but then i realized my daughter's birthday is february i'm like i can't get rid of february um so maybe we'll do march
0: okay <laughs> yeah. okay there's still
2: cold and <laughs> yeah you know, yeah um, march is know.
1: such a long month i yeah.
0: mean yeah it just i mean it and, never and sometimes it too. still feels like it's like the dead of winter some years in March. For sure, yeah. and
2: you know, I was surprised when I moved from Lincoln down to St. Louis that that it's warmer. I thought it'd be the same, but it's hmm. it is better here. So <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm rub it in. Well,
1: um, We're we happy have for the, you. <laughs> we, we have the Huskers, so um, that's
2: right. I will be there this fall for a game. So my son and I are coming up for a game. So
1: awesome, um, <laughs> awesome. So
2: looking forward to that. So wow.
1: well. Travis, thank you so much i love the stories that you shared and um i think this will be a unique perspective that our listeners
0: will get to hear yeah glad to do it thank thanks, so thanks for
2: watching me. yeah you're welcome i i've enjoyed talking with you all